good, and I want to say good morning to everybody that is watching um, <clears throat> across, across platforms, whatever, on Facebook. Hi, everybody. Um, man, what, a, what an amazing time. What an amazing morning. Uh, the morning where we remember uh, Jesus who, who rose again for us, uh, signifying his, the new life that we get to have in, in him. Um, and this morning, I'm just going to speak a little bit about uh, Jesus' last week on the earth uh, and, and, and how nothing that happened in that week was an accident. Everything that happened in that week was on purpose for a specific reason um, to win for us our redemption and to, to set us free into a new life, into a, a new beginning. Um, so we read in, in the Old Testament about the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. It's actually the first commandment that God ever, that God ever uh, spoke to the children of Israel. It was to remember this day, to remember the day where I'm gonna deliver you out of the hands of Egypt. Um, I encourage everybody to read that sometime in the next few days. We won't read it this morning. Exodus 12. Uh, we'll touch on a few verses in there um, just to kind of go through and see how the last week in Jesus' life really mimicked um, the processes of Passover and that he truly is our Passover lamb, the sacrifice made on our behalf to not only redeem us from Egypt, but from the old dead life. Um, so there is a bunch of things um, in Jesus' life that happened that you could go back and you could look at, at the process and, the, and the, um, the way that the sacrificial lambs were brought up. But Jesus was not only the lamb, he was also the shepherd. Um, so Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And this is a place that was known uh, to be the place where the sacrificial lambs for Passover, the, the lambs that were sacrificed each year on Passover, um, the celebration out of Egypt, uh, the lambs were raised up in Bethlehem. So that alone, Bethlehem was a shepherd town. Uh, the focal point of the people there was raising up the lambs for sacrifice for Passover. How's that good news? That's good news. Um, the next part, uh, and you guys can turn to, I don't know if you guys will be able to keep up, but John 1, verse 29. So what had to happen next to the lambs? They had to be identified. And who were the, the lambs identified by? Were by the priests. The priests from Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest uh, of Israel. And their job was to identify the lambs and to offer up the sacrifices. So, so Jesus was recognized as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's John 1, verse 29. So who is it that recognized Jesus? Who's the first one that openly, publicly recognized Jesus as who he was? And that was John the Baptist. And the thing about John the Baptist is on both sides on both mom's side dad's side their lineage 
Um, he goes back and was a descendant of Aaron on both sides, the first high priest of Israel. So why is that significant? According to the laws of Passover, the lambs meant for sacrifice were to be identified by the priests. Jesus comes walking down. John is baptizing in the river. He recognizes him and declares that this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So let's fast forward a little bit to Palm Sunday. Uh, in Zechariah 9, verse 9 and 10, Uh, we, read, we read about Zechari Zechariah's prophecy here. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt in the foal of a donkey. Now, this, this was a prophecy in Zechariah. Uh, verses Zechariah 9, 9. But Zechariah prophesied, this a long time before Jesus was even ever born, that he will come and he will be riding on the, on the colt of a donkey. And we can read that in all four gospels. So let's, after that then, we move to um, what happened to the lambs when it was time for Passover. The shepherds would bring them into the temple and they would be received by the priest and the priest would pay them for the sacrifice. So there was an exchange. So we know that Jesus was sold to the temple priests for 30 pieces of silver, the same way that the sacrificial lambs were sold to the priests, Jesus was sold. Matthew 26, verse 14 to 15. It says, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him. They made an agreement with him for 30 pieces of silver, and Jesus was sold. Jesus was sold to the high priests. The high, Jesus, had, Jesus had to be transferred to sacrifice through the high priests to fulfill the old covenant law set in place um, in the Old Testament. So then... After that, what happens? So Jesus, you can, if you want to, you can turn to Matthew 26. A lot of this stuff will come out of 26 and 27 out of Matthew. This is verse 59 to 60. Uh, Jesus is then taken. He's taken in the garden. Um, the, uh, the temple guard go along, and they, they take Jesus. The disciples all flee. They run away to fulfill another prophecy. Uh, so he's led on that night to the chief priests, the elders, and the council to be examined. Now, we'll read in Matthew 26, 59 and 60. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death. And this is an important, it, the most important part, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet they found none. So, in the same way, when the lambs for Passover were brought in 
for sacrifice. They were to be examined. They were to be examined for fault or defect by who? By the priests. So they were doing exactly what needed to be done without even knowing what they were doing. They were proving the lamb worthy. They were proving the lamb worthy. Um, and after this, Matthew 26, 67, it says, they did spit in his face and buffeted him and others smote him with the palms of their hands. So what were they doing? They were, they were putting their hands on Jesus. They were, they were speaking at Jesus. They were... Um, when Jesus declared that he is the son of God, and if he doesn't declare it, the rocks will, they began to shout blasphemy at him. So, and we know Jesus wasn't blaspheming. So they were shouting, they were putting their hands on him. They were shouting things at him of what he was accused of. And we'll see here what they were actually doing. Um, so according to the Passover ritual, the way things were done in the Old Testament, the priests were to place their hand on the lamb. So they took their hand, they physically put it on the lamb, on their heads, in order to transfer the people's sin, their guilt, everything onto that lamb. And I believe this is the time when Jesus began to feel the burden of our sins upon him as the priests and the elders in the council began to hit him and speak the things, so, so that the priests in the Old Testament would also, they would, they would speak the sin onto the lamb and the lamb would take it. So when they were shouting blasphemy at Jesus, they weren't only, uh, what they were doing was they were speaking their own sin on Jesus and Jesus bore it. So Jesus begins to feel our burdens on him. He begins to take them for us. And he was silent through the, whole, through the whole time. And we know that he was proven innocent. He was proven innocent through this time of observation. So after this, Jesus was then handed over uh, to the governor. Uh, we, we read in Matthew 27, 1 to 2, uh, by the priest fulfilling the requirements of the lamb that it had to be offered up by the priests. Matthew 27, 1 to 2 uh, reads, When the morning was come, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. So the, the chief priests, the people... Um, that, that were also in charge of bringing the lamb up for sacrifice, handed the lamb of God over to the Romans to be crucified. So Jesus takes it. He's silent. Um, he takes the flogging and the beating and... Uh, all on, all on our behalf, and, and fast forward, they crucified him on the cross, and we read in Matthew 27, uh, 45 to 50, that now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour, 
And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias or Elijah. And straight away, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let the rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. So they began to mock him while he was hanging on the tree. And Jesus, when he had cried one more time with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and Jesus was dead. There's one part in this, in this passage of verses that says, at the ninth hour, that began to happen. Now, what else was happening at exactly the ninth hour in Israel, in the temples? The lambs were being slaughtered for the Passover sacrifice. Do we realize that? Do we realize that Jesus, the lamb that God sent, that, sent down for us at the exact time, for hundreds and hundreds of years before this, they were sacrificing lambs for the sins of the, of the nation and the sins of the people at this exact hour. And Jesus gives up. It's, it's, it's a point in Matthew. He makes it a point that we know that it was the ninth hour. And after this, Matthew 27, verse 51, uh, we read, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. It was truly finished. The temple veil was torn in two. And uh, if you, if you uh, for those that don't know what the temple veil signified in the temple, um, in Solomon's temple, and, and the temple that was in place at Jesus' time was, was, uh, was rebuilt by the Romans, but it was according to the, to the dimensions and uh, the way that it needed to be set up in Solomon's temple. So the veil, the purpose of the veil was to separate. The purpose of the veil was to separate. And what was behind the veil was the Holy of Holies. It was the holiest place. It was where God's presence dwelt. And the veil was meant to separate. So, when this veil ripped, it meant that there was no longer need for a physical barrier to God. It's saying that the necessity of it in itself is removed. There's no longer need for separation. Um, and on this, so this, this, this veil was, would be today probably a modern marble. It was huge, it was priceless, made with the most expensive fabrics um, by the most skilled craftsmen. Um, and uh, you, can, you can find that it was, it was heavy enough 
that if somebody, if one of the priests were to trip and, you know, accidentally fall, that it would actually stop them because if they were to fall into the Holy of Holies, even accidentally, they would die. It would kill them. We read in, in um, I believe it's in Leviticus, where Aaron's two sons died for going into the Holy of Holies when it was not time. So they made, so this veil was made so that, I mean, it was not easy to get in. Um, so on the veil, there were, there were sown two cherubim. Those are angels. There were sown pictures of two angels. And another place that, we, that you can see angels, and uh, one of the popular, well-known places that we see angels is when Adam and Eve sinned. What was placed at the entrances to the garden? Cherubim, the same, not just angels, but the same kind of angels. So cherubim are meant as, as guardians. They're, they're set in place to guard something. So they were on both sides of the temple veil. Um, so when the veil was torn, so these, these angelic guardians that were woven into the curtains were disarmed because there was no more need. There was no more need for there to be a guarding into the presence of the Lord. So re-entry, re-entry into the presence of God is again permitted just like it was in the Garden of Eden before the fall. So let's read in, uh, if you want to turn to Hebrews 10, 17 to 19. So it says, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So we are able to enter in to the holiest of holies by the blood of Jesus. See, every year the priests were going in there and they were, they were putting the blood of a bull and the blood of a, uh, of a lamb onto the mercy seat and onto the, onto the plate of atonement for the people's sins. When Jesus died, his blood was placed upon that and, and will remain forever to where we can have access. So let's look at, there's one, one thing I want to look at real quick that's a mystery of the, uh, the blood, the blood of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb and the Passover. So, um, so during Passover in Egypt, uh, they, they, they were to take the blood of, of, the, of the sacrifice, the blood of, of the lambs that they uh, sacrificed, and they were to take hyssop, and they were to spread it on the sides of the doorposts and at the top. So you have three points, three points of blood. You have one side, other side, and at the top. And what this is signifying is God offering sacrifices, or I'm sorry, is man offering sacrifices up to God. So you have two points and the top. Now listen, when Jesus came, he hung on a cross, 
He was pierced in three points where his blood left the marks. We know it was on one hand, it was on the other hand, and it was at his feet. So again here we see three points. We see two on the sides and one below, signifying that God had brought sacrifice down to man and had offered up his sacrifice for us. In the same way that it happened uh, with Abraham and Isaac on that morning, God provided the sacrifice for man. This was not one that we had raised up or, or put in place in our religious ritual, but God sent it for us. And when you look at that, when you look at the three points of uh, the Passover markings of the blood and Jesus hanging on the cross, if you put them together, it actually creates the star of David. So what does Jesus mean to us? What, 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 is, what is this for us? And the point, the part I really want to uh, drive home to you guys today is that Jesus is our new beginning. And now that, that might just seem like some good, simple religious talk, uh, but let's dig into Jesus being our new beginning a little deeper. So when Jesus was crucified, um, and we can know by looking back at uh, the Hebraic calendar, the way that uh, the, the Hebraic year is set up, the way their days are set up, uh, uh, in, in, in Jewish culture, the day actually begins at sundown. So you have the night first, then you have the day, and the day is over. If you want to try to really, if you want to give your brain a workout, try to, try to begin to uh, look at the way we see our days in the calendar, compare it to the way that Jews, or that according to the Hebrew laws, that they would see their days, and uh, it won't take long, you'll, you'll have yourself a brain workout. Um, so we know that he was crucified on the full moon, in the first month of the Hebrew year, according to Exodus 12.2. Now, in Exodus 12.2, it reads, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And, and this was spoken in Exodus 12 when, when God was getting ready to give them the rules and, and the way to do Passover. So during Passover... Uh, during Passover, it was is to be done in the new year, um, and that the month the month that it is actually in is is called Nisan in the in the Hebrew calendar is called Nisan, and Nisan min, means beginning. It means, um, yeah, it means the first month of the year. So when 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 God was giving instruction for the first Passover in Egypt, we know that it was. Um, that is when that was done. And we know that it was at Passover time when Jesus was crucified. And what season is that? It's in springtime. Uh, it's, not, it's not winter. It's not summer. It's not fall. It's springtime. And what happens in spring? There's new life. There's newness everywhere. It's a much better picture when you look at it of a new year than thinking about it as January 1st. Um, so... 
Another interesting thing, actually, real quick, is according to the Hebrew calendar, it's year 5778. And at the year zero uh, was the beginning of creation. So if you're ever wondering about how old the world is, uh, you can just look at the Hebrew calendar. I would consider it accurate. So, so Jesus was sacrificed at the time of Passover. It's in the springtime. Uh, it's, it's, it, uh, it's a new life season. It's the, it's the time for new beginnings. And then he rose again on the first day of the week. It was a new week. And we know that by reading in Matthew 28, 1. We know it was the first day of the week. It was on a Sunday. Because Sunday is the first day of the week. Uh, the children is, of Israel, the Sabbath handed down to them by God is actually Friday night to Saturday night. It's the Hebrew Sabbath day. So in Matthew 28, 1, we read, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher or the, or the grave. So it was at the end of the Sabbath the weekly Sabbath, as it began to dawn, so this was Sunday morning early, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the, see the tomb. So it's a new day. It's the first day of the week, signifying new things once again. Other things that happened on Sunday, God created the universe. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created man, and after seven days, he rested. So, um, for us, also being unaware of the fact that the day that Jesus resurrected was also the day of the first fruit in the seven-day Passover festival. So, Jesus is our first fruit. The word first fruit in Hebrew is translated rashit. So, rashit means first fruit. So, where else does this Hebrew, Hebrew word show up in the Bible? Uh, in Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So that word for beginning is actually translated to the Hebrew as the word rashit. So the Bible, the Bible basically starts off in the, in, in the first fruit. So in the beginning, in the rashit, in the first fruit, or the beginning. And then we also read in John 1, 1 that Jesus was there in the beginning. Jesus was there in the Rashid. So Jesus was there in the beginning. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So let's look at Genesis 1, 1 again. We could say that in the beginning, or in the first fruit, or in Jesus... God created the heavens and the earth, and it was done on a Sunday, the first day of the week. So in the beginning, in the first fruit, God created the heavens and the earth. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If we look at our new beginning through the lens of what just happened, of what happens. First off, uh, the word 
beginning is pretty straightforward in its meaning. It, it's basically that, uh, you know, nothing happened before this. This is the beginning. Um, so, a new beginning, which is what we were promised, we were promised a new creature in him. A new beginning means that there is nothing before. All sins, all guilt, um, all past mistakes, all that ugly stuff is a, as, it, as if it never were. Uh, but now, how can there even be a new beginning, though? How do you make a new beginning? Maybe, or unless, it's because the old beginning was put to an end. So remember that in Jesus, all things were created in the beginning. They were created through him. So creation was being held together by Jesus himself. Jesus was the beginning. Jesus was not only there in the beginning, but Jesus was the beginning. All things created through him. So creation was held together by Jesus himself. So now what happens when Jesus is put to death? The first beginning is ended, and now there can be a new beginning. So there were three days in there that who knows what it was like in those three days. A time between two worlds, basically. We know that Jesus went down, won our victory for us. But between the time Jesus died and the time he resurrected again. So let's keep in mind now also that Jesus rose again on a Sunday, a day of new beginnings, the day after the Sabbath, the new day, the day of creation. Our first fruit and our, 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 our beginning created, he, what he did, he created in himself our new beginning after putting to death the old one. Wow. Jesus put to death the old, old beginning, and created a new beginning in him. And now the good news is that there is now resurrection life available today. Today there is resurrection life available because Jesus died on the cross once for sins and he rose again once. And it is today. That life, that resurrection life is available to any who would receive it through Christ through the Messiah. Because you know, the word Christ is actually just our translation from Messiah. When we are saying Jesus Christ, we say Jesus the Messiah. All old things can pass away and a new beginning is available. The new eternal kingdom is right now in our midst. It's here. The new covenant is in place right now. This is not just something that's going to get good after you die. This is right now. Your spirit 
has been born again. You've been made new. You've been given a new creation. You're not going to give another, you're not going to be given another new creation once you get into heaven. You're going to be living through the spirit that you have inside of you right now because your spirit has been renewed, has been born again. He's not going to kill your spirit again and re renew you again when you die. It's right now. It's in you. That is the resurrection power of the gospel. Resurrection, power, the spirit of the living Christ living inside of us right now. Now we need to get our minds and we need to get our hearts to line up with what's in there right now. And that's what faith is. So let's read uh, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4 in closing here. It says, Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has shown us his extravagant mercy for his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish, never be defiled, and never diminish. It is promised and preserved forever in the heavenly realm for you. Now, I was in the Passion Translation, but that is what's available for us. That is what we have inside of us, and that is what Jesus' work on the cross means for us. Yes, he died for sins, the death is as amazing as the resurrection because without the death, there could be no resurrection. Without putting to death the old way, there can be no new way. And he took it on himself for you. So I'm going to pray and then Lamar is going to come up and we're going to uh, commence into our time of communion. Um, so if you guys want to go... Get, get that stuff prepared. Uh, yeah, what a sweet time to be able to, to partake in communion here on the Lord's Day. And the first day since the first Passover that people are basically locked in their homes. Um, but remember, remember the work on the cross. Remember the work that was brought to us through resurrection, that the power that Jesus has, he was only able to give you through this process, and now it is in you, if you have Christ. And if you don't know Christ, he is the best thing that will ever happen to you, and that's a promise, okay? There is nothing better. There is no greater joy than knowing him and being with him. If you, if you know him and you're not happy, Start spending more time with them. That's all I'm going to say. There is nothing greater than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing greater than having him. There's nothing. Nothing. Not even close. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your work on the cross. Thank you for pouring out your life for us. Thank you that you offered up your body to be broken for us, to bear our sins, to bear our sickness. Thank you that you 
you bore our burdens on your body on the cross. That your blood was poured out as an offering, as a sacrifice for our sin. Father, and thank you that, that you recognize the power that Jesus offered up on our behalf. Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your resurrection. You are our life. You are our life now, Jesus. All things we do, we do in you. So Jesus, we bless you today. Father, I pray for, for everybody that listens to this message, everybody that um, is sitting at home right now listening or that will be listening later. Jesus, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them in power and in love and in might. Father, the way that you've always been, the Bible says that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You have not changed and you want to be inside of each of us. And if you're listening right now, you were created, you were created with something inside of you that can only be satisfied by Jesus. When God created you, he created you for worship. He created you for worship. And if, so if you're not worshiping, there's something that's missing. That's the thing that's missing. You know, people go to all kinds of different things. They go to alcohol and drugs and, and sex and, and money and all these things to try to fill that thing that they're missing. God created you for worship. And these words will resound with you because they are truth. So respond and you can live in newness of life and that void will be filled.